Tonight's reading is from Genesis 24:42 through 48. I came to thee to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water, let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening. Tonight we are continuing in the series called Living Stones, and we're talking about how there are different people that God has called in the past that can serve as examples for us, and they can serve as examples of being living stones, people who are built into God's spiritual house. And we've talked about individuals and individual events in their life, Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham. These people have events that we've looked at, things that they've had to do or choices that they've had to make. And tonight it's a little bit different. Tonight we're looking at a story in Genesis chapter 22, uh, 24, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 24, where Isaac and Rebekah meet each other. God has a plan. He wants Isaac to have children because he wanted Abraham to have children and Isaac is Abraham's son, and then Isaac is supposed to have his own kids, but Isaac is not married yet, and so he needs a wife. And so this is the story of how that comes about, and it is going to be another story of how God works in people. But like I said, it's not about an individual and a choice so much as it is many individuals and many choices. And it is about planning and what God's plan looks like, and following God's plan, knowing his will and doing his will. It's something that's relevant to all of us at various stages in our life, but for many of you, perhaps very relevant at this stage in your life because you're constantly asking yourself, what is it that God wants me to do? Or people have told you that you should be asking yourself, what is it that God wants me to do? So as we read through Genesis chapter 24 tonight, I want you to think about these things, that there is a way to discern God's plan, that he doesn't leave us with no instruction, no guidance, that there is, in fact, uh, tools that we can use to discern his plan, that we are going to have to follow it through hardship because there is trouble in this world. We should expect that. We're going to see it in this story. Uh, Unexpected things, things that are going to come up, decisions that people are going to make, we will have to follow God's plan through that. And he wants us to follow it toward goodness. Like, there is a plan that leads to our good, but it's going to be his definition and timing. And so we have to look at goodness the way that God looks at goodness and expect that. So before we go any further, let's pray a minute and then we'll get into this story of Isaac and Rebecca. Heavenly Father, please show us your plan tonight as you revealed it to Abraham, Isaac, and the people around them, Lord, to Rebecca, to her family. Lord, you revealed your plan and you brought about goodness and it doesn't always look good to us. It always 
is unclear to us, um, and we need it to be more clear. So I pray that you would make it more clear tonight what you are doing, how you're doing it, and how you would have us listen and obey. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So to begin, let's go back to Genesis chapter 22 and see what the plan is, because this is how Abraham starts. Abraham starts with some knowledge of God's will. In chapter 22, he has just offered Isaac as a sacrifice, and God has said, no, don't sacrifice your son. Here's a ram instead. And then he communicates a second time. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that's on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. And Abraham returns to his young men and they arise and go to Beersheba. And Abraham lived there at Beersheba. So this is God's plan. Abraham has been told by God, the voice of God speaking from heaven. Anybody have that this afternoon? Ever? It's not the way we typically hear from God. And we'll talk about that later because there's really two ways that I need to preach this sermon tonight, not two sermons back to back, just two ways to explain this information because what Abraham receives and what he does, it's going to be different than what we do because Jesus has come and the Holy Spirit has come. And so we'll talk about that. But Abraham receives the will of God directly from God's mouth. He hears it. And that's the first step to following God's plan. You have to know what God wants, right? And he's able to hear from God. And the next thing he has to do is trust that what God wants is good and that he should act on it, that he should do something about it, specifically that he should act in faithfulness toward it. So now jump over to chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24 is a contained story. Just about the whole chapter is one story. And in this story, we see a servant, unnamed in this chapter, who will do the will of Abraham, who is trying to do the will of God. We'll see Rebekah respond in faithfulness. We'll see Isaac accept the outcome in faithfulness. It's one of those rare Old Testament stories where everybody seems to be doing the right thing. It's kind of refreshing. It's encouraging to see God working through all of these people who have made mistakes in the past and this time are listening and they're doing what they're supposed to do. So let's see how this works itself out. Just the first 10 verses to start here. Abraham was old, well advanced in years. He was already 100 when Isaac was born, right? And now this is about 40 years later. Abraham was old and well advanced in years and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I might make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But you'll go to my country, to my kindred, and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, And from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you. And you shall take a wife from my son, for my son, from there. But if a woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. Commentators are not super clear on what is meant by this putting the hand under a thigh. 
But trust me, if one man puts his hand into the thigh of another man, they're very close. Right? Physically, proximity, they're very close. At the very least, at the very least, it is an act of submission. It is an act of getting very close to someone and drawing close to someone for the purpose of intimate interaction. So what it might have exactly meant in that context, we don't know. But we do know, we do know that Abraham's servant is submitting himself to this task. And so he is knowing God's will through Abraham. Abraham is communicating, hey, this is God's will. God spoke to me. He told me this is what I need to do. And now he's communicating that to his servant. And so we're going to trust that this is the way it has to be. And now I want you to act in faithfulness. And if you read verse 10, that's what happens. The servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he rose and he went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. The place where Abraham is living is about 550, 600 miles away from Mesopotamia where he's sending his servant. So for us, right, for us, frame of reference, that's like Cleveland, Nashville, 500, 600 miles, somewhere in that department, okay? So now imagine, all of you, deputizing somebody to take 10 camels to Cleveland for a wife. Walking right down 80. Sounds like a safe prospect, right? Surely everything will be just fine. They'll get there, they'll find a wife, they'll bring her back, no problem. Does this sound like a good plan? Does it sound like a good plan in Abraham's day? No GPS, no guarantee that they won't be robbed, no guarantee that they'll come back alive. Right? This is a long a trading route. It's not like there's not a road there. But still, this is a risky venture, right? This is no guarantee. They're acting in faithfulness. They cannot know exactly what the outcome will be, but they know God's will, and they're trusting in his promises, and so they're going to act in faithfulness. So that's what happens. That's how they proceed. And they have to know that there's going to be trouble because there's always trouble. So we should expect uncertainty. Let's see the first uncertainty he comes to is in verse 11. The servant made the camels kneel down outside of the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who then says, drink, and I'll water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. He made it. He followed God. He acted in faithfulness. But now there's the question of which woman? There's a city full of women. Which woman? I don't know anybody. I don't have picture ID. I cannot go and ask every single person, hey, do you happen to be related to so-and-so? I need to know, God, which woman is it? So he prays. He talks to God. He's already acted in faithfulness, but knowing that there will be uncertainty, he doesn't just stop there. He talks to God. He asks God for provision in this case. He says, provide for me this sign. And he's going to pray in a little bit in praise as well. So it's not just prayers asking for, for things from God, but it's also just talking to God to praise him and to thank him. But this is a relationship we see the servant enter into. It's certainly one that we've seen Abraham uh, abide by where he's constantly talking to God. So pray without ceasing. And then again, again, act in faithfulness. So there's a little bit of a, an iteration here, like right, where you do the thing 
And then you trust God again, and you talk to God again, and then you do the thing of acting in faithfulness again. This is the pattern that we're seeing throughout this story. So now it's Rebecca's turn. Verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, he came, she came out with her water jar on her shoulder. And the young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known, and she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And then she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels also until they've finished drinking. And so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to get water. And she drew for all of his camels. And the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Is God going to give Rebekah the same sort of instruction, basically, that she has given Abraham and given me? And is she going to respond in faithfulness? He can't control that. But he's acting in faithfulness, and he's prayed to the Lord. And while he's in the middle of praying, she comes. And imagine, this is a hard thing, right? Ladies, can you imagine going to a gas station, right? And there's somebody there, an older guy, and you offer to fill up his tank for him. And then the next thing he does is says, hey, would you like to come 500 miles with me and marry this guy that you don't know? Because that's what's about to happen to her, right? And so she's going to certainly have to deal with some uncertainty here. Even the uncertainty from her family, which we'll see in a minute. When the camels, verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she says to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bows his head and worships the Lord. Here he is praying again. And he says, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. And then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. So we're going to get here a minute to the conclusion of the story, but see the direction that this is going, because this is going toward goodness. But we are going to see that it's going to be goodness by God's definition and in his timing and to further his plan. And we haven't even gotten through the story yet, and I've got references up there to later chapters. So just hold on, we'll get there. But understand that this only makes sense in that context. We talk about following God's plan. If we have any idea that God's plan will end up at our good, we're mistaken. That's our plan, right? The good that we would choose for ourselves often is not the good that God chooses for us. It's the good that we would choose for ourselves. This morning, I used the analogy of going to a restaurant, like a nicer restaurant, right? Not, not fast food, but going to a nicer restaurant with a small child. And you see just the wealth of options on the menu, and you're thinking about all the good meals that you could eat. And the small child's like, do they have chicken nuggets? Right? That's the good that I would choose for myself. And some of you are like, yeah, I want the chicken nuggets. I don't want the fancy stuff. And it's because we don't know how to appreciate it often, right? We don't understand it. It's in the wrong context. And God is saying, in my context, in my timing, this is what good looks like. To further my will, to further my plan, this is what good looks like. So hear the rest of the story in that context, and then we'll talk about where it goes from there, because it gets harder as we go. So she runs to her family. Rebecca had a brother, verse 29, whose name was Laban. 
And Laban ran out toward the man at the spring. And as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man, that's Abraham's servant, and behold, he's standing by the camels at the spring. He said, come in, O blessed of the Lord, why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels, and he gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before them. But look at the faithfulness of the servant. He says, verse 33, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. And so then Laban says, speak on. The servant says, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants, female servants, camels, donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose, hand I, in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman won't follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way, and you shall take a wife for my son from my clan, from my father's house. And then you'll be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you'll be free from my oath. And then there's the passage that we read, which is a bit of a repeat or a bit of a rehash of, of the whole story so far. But it's a good encapsulation of this idea of knowing God's will, of following his plan by trusting his promises, by acting in faithfulness, by praying, all of these things. But there's one more unexpected thing here. We get down to verse 55. Her brother, that's Rebecca's brother Laban, and her mother say to the servant, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days, and after that she can go. There's hesitancy, right? They're not quite ready to let their sister and daughter go with this strange man to a strange country to be the wife of a person that they've never met. Again, possibly for good reason. If you read later, you know that Laban might just be doing some business dealings in the back of his head here, right? Laban's the guy who's going to tell, he's going to tell uh, Jacob, hey, you can marry my daughter, and then he switches daughters on him in the night, and then he has them work for 14 years, right? That's the same guy here, Laban. So maybe he's doing some business dealing in the back of his head, but regardless, there's a potential obstacle here. And again, again, there's an act of faithfulness. So they say to Rebecca, will you go with the man? And she says, I will. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister, with her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men, and they blessed Rebecca. And listen to the blessing. Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. May your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. That's the same blessing that Abraham received from God about Isaac. So this is another confirmation that they're doing God's will, that they're following his plan. Rebecca and her young women arose, they rode on the camels, they followed the man, and thus the servant took Rebecca and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beryl Hiroi, where he was dwelling in the Negeb, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes, and he saw, and behold, there were camels coming. Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. You guys can picture the scene, right? 
the uh, caravan of camels is coming in and Isaac is standing there in the field and there's an orchestra just off the side and you can't see and they start to play and the music swells. She gets off the camel and they run to each other in slow motion. Except there's no orchestra and there's camels. So it stinks and they're in a field and it's messy, right? Because they don't know each other at all. And he's 40 years old, and we're going to see in a minute that it's going to be another 20 years before they have kids. But this is God's definition of good. It's his timing. It's to further his plan. So what does that look like, God's definition? I already told you that he's 40 years old. 25, uh, chapter 25, 19, it says... These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel the Aramean, of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. We know that he loves her. It says so in chapter 24. And we know that they want children. It says so in chapter 25. But we see here later in chapter 25 that he is 60 when they're born. 40 when he meets her, 60 when they're born. 20 years of praying to God for Rebecca's womb to be opened. When a couple wants children and they're unable to conceive, that's a hard thing on a marriage. It's hard to call that a good thing in a marriage. And yet God says, this is the plan I would choose for you. I want you to act in faithfulness. This is my plan This is my timing. This will be good. And it's hard to see how that's good. It's hard to see how it's good when we look at the description here of what happens, uh, starting in verse 24. Uh, No, I'm sorry. Starting in verse 22. So she conceives, and the children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she goes to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red and bloody and hairy like a cloak, and they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. And then the boys grew up. This This is a hard thing to be a parent at 60 for the first time, right? To be the parent of twins, we have any 60-year-olds here that are ready to be twins, uh, parents of twins? No? Anybody conceive of that? We've got one. We've got one who's ready to sign up. Most people wouldn't, right? It would be hard. It would be hard to become parents for the first time at 60. It would be hard to become parents of two boys of whom God has said they're going to fight their entire life. The older is going to serve the younger. They're going to be two nations, right? Two peoples will grow out of them but they're going to fight, just so you know. But this is my definition of good. And in my timing, in my timing, I'm going to further my plan. And spoiler alert, guess what? Jacob is going to be 77 before he goes the same route that uh, Abraham's servant went. So Isaac, Isaac is going to have to wait another 77 or another, yeah, another 77 years. So he waits 20 years to have kids and then another 77 years before his son goes to find a wife. 
all waiting to see God further this plan and this promise. But if you read Genesis chapter 28, 1 through 5, it reads very much like this same story where Isaac now is saying, listen, my son can't take a wife from the Canaanites, so we're going to send him to Mesopotamia. We want him to find a wife from um, my wife's people and come back here. So it looks very similar. We see how this is God's plan working itself out, but it's hard because it's God's timing and not their timing because it's his definition of good and not their definition of good. But this is how we know God's plan and this is how we follow it because his definition is better. When he leads us into goodness, it is truly goodness. And I said I have to teach this two ways because it is to be understood two ways. So if we're going to talk about discerning God's plan today, we have to look at what Paul says in Romans, where he says, listen, if you want to know God's will, then offer yourself up as a living sacrifice to him. That means that you need to be able to give up everything. And Jesus says, you need to essentially die and be born again. Make me your savior, but also make me your master. Make me your king. Sacrifice everything to me. Don't die, literally, but spiritually. And in all things, give everything over to me, and I will give you everlasting life. Submit yourself to me, and then I will make you alive forever with me. And that's going to lead to your mind being transformed. So if you want to discern God's will today, you here, sitting here, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world any longer. Don't listen to what the world has to say. But be transformed so that you can understand what God's will is. Because he wants you to follow his plan. There will be hardship. And so he's going to call you to follow his plan just like Jesus followed God's plan. I want to read to you from 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12. Because... We have to suffer like Jesus suffered to participate in the life that he is calling us to. This is his plan for us, to give up everything so that we can know his will, and then to walk as Jesus walked. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you if you follow me. But also, if you live in this world, there will be trouble. Just expect it. Don't be surprised when it happens. But rejoice, verse 13, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, for let him glorify God in that name. Skipping down to verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Suffer as Christ suffered so that you can participate in his glory. Suffer as Christ suffered so that you can participate in the will of the Father. Constantly entrusting yourself to him, constantly praying, constantly acting in faithfulness. This is how Jesus walked. Walk as Jesus walked. And then follow God's plan into goodness which means for us today, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. This is what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. It says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, 
making the best use of the time because the days are evil. There's going to be hardship. The days are evil. In this world, you'll have trouble. Don't be surprised. Don't be foolish, verse 17, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's definition of good for us, that we would submit to one another in Christ, that the whole body would be able to hold each other up, build each other up, build into each other's lives. It's weird the first time somebody comes up to you and just sings a song at you. It's strange, but it can be very encouraging. When somebody comes to you and says, hey, I just want to share a psalm from the Bible with you. I just want to sing a song with you. You're like, that's kind of weird, right? I don't know if I like that. But it's good. It's God's definition of good. And he intends for you to be built up by it, to be strengthened by it. When we ask ourselves, what is God's will? What's God's plan for my life? Often we mean, what we mean is, how do I do the thing I want to do and still look good doing it? But God isn't interested in that. He's interested in doing what he would have you do for his glory and then ultimately for your good. But his good is different, right? He defines it differently. And he wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit and make you a part of a body of believers that are together full of his Holy Spirit that are encouraging one another. Like, that's his definition of good. It's so much better than the definition we would choose for ourselves, and it doesn't stop there. He wants you to have everlasting life. And if you've not had a great life here, it can be hard to think, how is everlasting life a good thing? I don't know that I want this one to go on forever. And that's why this one doesn't go on forever. Everlasting life means the end of all pain and all death and all sorrow. It means living as you were intended to live, being a perfect creation, having a body that doesn't experience pain or death or sickness or sorrow, but having a body because God made you to be bodily people and to live that way. So it's not just the Holy Spirit here and now, but it's the presence of God forever and ever. That's his definition of good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you and I thank you that you are so good to us, telling us your plan, showing us your will. Lord, help us to discern what it is. Help us to listen to your voice in your word, from your Holy Spirit, from our brothers and sisters in the body. And Lord, I pray that we would trust you and that we would pray to you and that we would act in faithfulness. God, I ask that you would help us to do that when we are weak. Help us to be like Abraham's servant, Lord, who walked hundreds of miles to find a a woman that he didn't even know would be there to bring her back, Lord, to continue your plan, to further your plan. Help us to see that furthering your will is good and that it's good for us. pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen.